to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The Apostle Paul, when writing to Titus, he said this, he said to speak evil of no one. And, and this is my point, you know, sometimes we look at the sinners around us in the culture and our heart toward them is not one of, of hope that they can be saved, but it's one of disgust and it's one that says, man, I just wish God would hurry up and judge them. And, you know, that's the wrong attitude. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 through 21, in a message titled, Humanity's Hopeless Condition. Now, here's Pastor Brian. The idols here, of course, idols and demonic worship are connected. When you go back into the ancient world, you would find in all of these various cults and religious rituals, there, there was always an idol that was part of that. And then that idol would connect you to that various deity. But also the idol connects you to a philosophy of some sort. And I think one of the things we can safely say when we're talking about idolatry today is the worshiping of the works of their hands, which is a way of talking about materialism. And in the future, in this kingdom that's coming, this short-lived kingdom of the Antichrist, remember one of the emphases, as we'll again see later, is the emphasis on buying and selling. It's going to be a crazy time of, of consumerism and materialism. And, and again, this is, the world is being conditioned for that. So many people are, are living for that. Their whole existence is about getting something materially that's going to satisfy them, something that they identify with, something that gives them status among their peers or whatever the case might be. So we see the world more and more going in that direction. But then we come to these other things that are mentioned. The murders, the sorceries, the sexual immorality, and the theft. Murder is on the increase all over the world. I think in the context here of, of Revelation 9, when we're talking about murder, I think we're talking about a I think we're definitely talking about a sort of an anarchy in the sense of just murder is rampant. But I also think we're talking about murder in a more like a genocidal sense. But you know, we have genocide happening all over the world today. Uh, we have populations of people that are being put to death. And we've all heard of what's happening in the Middle East. We've all heard of what's happening with ISIS. We've all heard about the fact that the Christian populations are being decimated and tens of thousands are being driven from their homes and multitudes are being murdered and so forth. And as, as horrible as that is and as bad as that is, the thing that's even more perplexing to me is how no one seems to want to address it or do anything about it or in some cases even acknowledge it. You know, there's attempts in our Congress to get our, uh, the administration to acknowledge that there is a Christian genocide happening in the Middle East and they won't do it. They won't refer to it as that. 
And, and this is the kind of thing, you know, think back to, if you can remember, think back to the time of the Second World War. Think back to the Holocaust. This is the kinds of things that we're talking about that are coming in the future. But these things are happening today as well. So we're being conditioned toward that. We're being conditioned. There's a whole bunch of people in various cultures who have been conditioned to think that certain people should just be eliminated. These people have no, no rights. They, they shouldn't even exist. Let's, we, let's just uh, obliterate them. And so, as I said, this is gonna be a dominant feature of what's happening in the future, but it's already moving in that direction. We're already being conditioned for that. But we don't have to go across the planet to find these kinds of things. We find that right in our own communities, we see that murder is on the increase. And there seems to be, in our culture today, there seems to be a very lenient attitude toward murder. We see it in our, in our judicial system in many places. We just see it in the, in the culture in general. And one of the most blatant manifestations of murder that we don't talk too often about is the murder of the 60 million unborn children through abortion. And again, the thing about abortion that's so astounding is that there are large numbers of people that refuse to acknowledge that it is actually what it is. They say, well, that's not a human being. They want to deprive the, the child in the, in the womb of its humanity. So it's, it's just gone crazy in our culture, as you know. The Planned Parenthood, the exposure with the, the selling of the parts of the baby's bodies and all of that sort of thing. And, and then as you know, people speak out against it and, and question it and challenge it. There's a whole nother uh, group of people who want to silence that. You know, another thing that's on the rise all across Western culture is euthanasia. And they used to allow the, the countries that, that fought for or promoted euthanasia, it was the opportunity to allow somebody to die with dignity, supposedly, somebody who was terminally ill if they just you know, didn't want to go through the suffering and the, the degrading aspects of, of what happened there, then you know, they, they could ask to be euthanized. And you know, so there were laws passed that would allow for that to happen. But you know what's happened since? And you know what everybody said is this is a slippery slope. Do you know now that they are euthanizing people who just simply feel like they're not happy with life and they can't see things getting any better, so they're just, they just want to check out? Do you know that in some places, like in Northern Europe, they, the government itself is deciding whether people can really be uh, an asset to society or not, and if they can't be, then they are administering euthanasia to them? I mean, th this is happening. So it's, my point is this, these kinds of things that are gonna be prevalent worldwide during the, the tribulation period, the things that people are gonna to refuse to repent for there, these are things that are beginning to surface and, and take a, a prominent place in our world already. And so you start with murder, but then you have sorcery. 
and sorcery. Now, when, you, when I say sorcery, what do you think of? You think of magic, you think of wizards, you think of that sort of a thing. Rightfully so, that's what the word refers to. But the Greek word translated sorcery is pharmakia. See if you can make that connection. When you think of pharmakia, does that sound like anything you know? Does that sound like pharmaceuticals? Does it sound like pharmacy? It should, because that's where we get the word from, and the word means drugs. And you think of the proliferation of drugs in the culture, and we're not talking about aspirin. We're not talking about antibiotics. We're not talking about those kinds of drugs. We're talking about hallucinogenics. We're talking about uh, recreational drugs, as people call them. We're talking about mind-altering drugs for the purpose of you know, checking out of reality or trying to connect with the spirit world or whatever. The reason why pharmakia is translated sorcery or in some cases witchcraft is because historically there's always been a connection between these two things. In all of the occult groups throughout all of time, there, there's been this component where there's a potion, where there's uh, an herbal kind of a thing, where whatever it is uh, among, you know, say the uh, Native Americans, the peyote and all of that sort of thing, there, there's a connection into that world. And so again, we see today that sorcery is on the rise in the culture and now sorcery has been commercialized and it's the kind of thing in the end that will bring down the judgment of God and it's the kind of thing that people will continue to refuse to repent of. But then there's also sexual immorality. And sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea and that word is a very broad word that includes every kind of sexual activity outside of the God-ordained sexual relationship of husband and wife, a married couple, a man and a woman. That's God's sanctioned sexual relationship. Anything and everything apart from that, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, it's all forbidden by God. But that is going to dominate the world. Sexual immorality is going to dominate the world in that, in that coming day, but we don't have to wait for then. It's already happening. The sexual revolution is going forth at an accelerated pace. And there is an absolute agenda. There is a movement to normalize in our culture, and not just in our culture, but to make this a universal thing, to normalize all types of sexual relationships and behaviors. As a matter of fact, the, the very idea of sexual immorality to some people is, it's, a, it's an idea that they just completely reject. There's no such thing as sexual immorality for the minds of many of the elites in our culture today. You, sex is anything you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want, any how you want, with anybody you want. That's the, that's the mentality. So to say that something is sexually immoral, that, something, that there's something that's wrong sexually, we're living in a time when that is not accepted. And as a matter of fact, if you insist that that's the case, you are not only discriminated against on just a personal level, in, in some places, as we've already seen, they want to prosecute people for that. But like I said, it's not just here. 
You know, there, there's efforts to export this all over the world. So it's the normalization of these things. That's where we are today. And then finally, theft. And I think this is, this is an interesting one. Theft. You know, there, there is a mentality that is growing. And, and it's been a mentality that's been out there in, of course, the poorer nations of the world for a long time. It's the idea of social justice. It's the idea that, you know, it's not fair that just a certain handful of people have all the money in the world and that, you know, that money needs to be taken and that wealth needs to be redistributed and, and all of that sort of thing. It's a, it's a form of theft, really. But it's becoming like a, a worldwide perspective on the parts of people. There, there is an entitlement and there's an entitled generation in this country that says, well, I should be able to have this, this person's wealth directed toward me. I shouldn't have to work or I shouldn't have to put in the hours like they, maybe they did in their generation. They, they should pay my way for everything. But this is what we need to remember, that people will not perish because God did not want to save them, but because they refuse to repent. That's always the problem. The problem is uh, the refusal and the rebellion on the part of man. But when I look at this whole picture, you know the thing that it says to me more than anything else? It says to me what a miracle salvation is. That anyone is saved is an absolute miracle. Because the people we're reading about here who would not repent of these things, you know what? That's us. That, that's just, that's humanity. That is the heart of man. That's the evil heart that Jesus talked about. The heart that Jeremiah referred to. The heart that God declared in Genesis. That's the heart of man. So when you think that anybody's saved, you think, wow, this is, this is a miracle. But people are not saved, not because God doesn't want them to save. We know that to be saved because we know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But it's that refusal to repent. That is what causes people to experience the judgment of God rather than the salvation of God. Now, I want to come to the application here for us, and I want to talk about the purpose of judgment for just a moment. And there's a twofold purpose of judgment. Judgment, even as we're looking at it here in Revelation chapter 9, it's implied in the text that God's desire in this time of judgment even is for people to repent. And, and John's marveling that they would not repent. So it's clear from the context that there was the opportunity to repent. That's what God was seeking to bring about through the judgment. And so we need to understand that God's first purpose in judgment is to bring people to repentance. And like I already mentioned, we know that many people will repent and many people will come to faith in Christ during that time, but we see here that the majority won't. But that's always God's desire. And even during this tribulation period, there's still an opportunity for people to come to faith. There's still that 
that time when, when people can turn. Now, as we go further in the book, we're going to see that there's one thing that a person will perhaps do during that time that will forever seal their eternal destiny in separation from God. That's receiving the mark of the beast. And once that happens, there's no turning back for anyone. But obviously here, there's still the opportunity. There's still people that haven't done that. But when we, even when we think today, we need to remember that even in the midst of judgments today, because God pours out judgment today on people. He pours out judgment today sometimes on nations. But it's always with the first objective that people would turn to him. You think of the story of Jonah and the Ninevites, how God sent Jonah to Nineveh. And he gave him one message, tell the Ninevites 40 days and judgment is coming. And Jonah reluctantly went after a detour. He finally got there. He told them that. And guess what they did? They repented. And God did not then bring the judgment that he said he would bring. So we see that the first purpose in judgment is to bring people to repentance. But then ultimately, for those who won't repent, Judgment is to put down rebellion and to stop the proliferation and the destruction that comes through sin. So, when we think of the depraved heart of men and women, when we see people's refusal to repent, and I'm talking about today, obviously, even then, Let's not lose hearts because we were those people. You see, we were those people. And as long as there's still breath, as long as there's still time, there, there's still the opportunity to repent. And I say this because what can happen to us sometimes is that we write people off and we consider it to be a hopeless cause, and we shouldn't do that. Now, humanity's hopeless condition is man's inability to save himself, but let's not forget God can save anyone. So we will remember that more so if we remember that he saved us, and we were much like the people that we're looking at today thinking maybe God can't save them. No, he can, just like he saved us. And even if it's from these kinds of things, murder and sorcery and sexual immorality and theft and idolatry and demon worship, do you know what? Our churches are full of people who were involved in those kinds of things previously. I told the, the church earlier today, not wanting to shock anybody, but I said, you know, just for your information, we have murderers on our staff. We have people who have committed murder and they've been prosecuted for it and they've done their time in prison and they were released eventually and they gave their life to Christ and the Lord turned them around. And for years now, they've faithfully walked with Jesus and now they're disciples of Christ and they're blessing people and they're leading people to Christ and they're discipling people. And we have people who were formerly sorcerers 
using drugs and dealing drugs and all of those things. This is the world that we all came from. And people who have been engaged in every form of perversion and sexual immorality, these are the things that God saves us out of. So we can't forget that. And you know, one of the great things about the Apostle Paul is he never forgot that about himself. And so when writing to Titus, he said this, he said to speak evil of no one. And and this is my point. You know, sometimes we look at the sinners around us in the culture and our our heart toward them is not one of, of hope that they can be saved, but it's one of disgust and it's one that says, man, I just wish God would hurry up and judge them. And, you know, that's the wrong attitude. Paul says, speak evil of no man. And this is what he says. He says, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Hey, we were all there at one time. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's all because of God's mercy. And so as unlikely as it might have been to some people that you would ever repent, and you did, just remember that when you think of somebody that you maybe consider to be an unlikely candidate for salvation, remember that God can save them just like he saved you. Remember that salvation for anyone is an absolute miracle, but that's what God is in the business of doing. He's in the business of performing miracles. And, you know, know, people often say today, well, you know, I don't see any miracles happen today. I can show you hundreds of miracles. I can line them up for you. I mean, there's so many uh, amazing, uh, a testimony is a miracle. The transformation of a life, the going from, from the hard rebellion resistant heart to a place of submission to Christ. And so as we close today, just remember this, it's not over till it's over. Surely this is the future. Surely there is this great judgment that's going to come, and surely there's going to be the the multitudes of people that are not going to repent. They're going to keep hardening their heart, just like there's the majority of people are going to be still doing that today. But there's always those that will repent. We just don't know who they are. And so we can't give up hope. We have to have confidence in God's love and the gospel, and that he's willing to break through. And let's keep believing that he wants to save more and more people. And yet at the same time, of course, we can't ignore the fact that, like I said, the, the whole world around us is being conditioned for these things ahead. But we shouldn't be surprised by that because that is clearly the way things are going. But even though that's the case. This is still the day of salvation. This is the time, and we need to seize the moment.
Let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Have I got a book for you? The book is entitled, The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. And this book is written by a good friend of mine named Nick Cady. And in the book, Nick deals with topics like a God who hasn't proven his existence, a God who creates hateful, hypocritical followers, a God who says some love is wrong. And Nick really tackles these from just, a, I think, a brilliant point of view, of course, going back to Scripture and showing that there are good biblical answers to all of these objections. So I want to recommend and I highly recommend Nick Cady's book, The God I Won't Believe In. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The God I Won't Believe In by Nick Cady. You can order the book, The God I Won't Believe In, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The God I Won't Believe In by Nick Cady, to help you wrestle with the common cultural barriers to embracing Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.